One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Kathy Sheridan and just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what you hear on our two episodes a week uploaded on Mondays and Thursdays, please do go to iTunes and write a review there telling everybody why you think this podcast is such a great listen. Now, with the referendum on the Eighth Amendment looming, Ireland is witnessing both sides of the debate battle it out in the media, online and on the streets. Since its inception, this podcast has advocated for repeal of the Eighth for many different reasons. But have you ever wondered why these sides, pro-repeal and anti-repeal, are so diametrically opposed? Where do they part ways? Can we ever know who is right and wrong with such a complex, nuanced issue? Should the Constitution mention abortion at all? This month, the Headstuff Podcast Network presents a new podcast series documenting the upcoming referendum on the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution of Ireland, and it's called The Eighth. This new podcast attempts to answer these questions and more through the lens of a pro-repeal host attempting to bring clarity, understanding and some degree of common sense to this incredibly fraught space. The presenter of the podcast is Kira O'Connor Walsh, and she came in to talk to me about her new podcast. Kira, we have loads of podcasts about this and that. You've chosen to make one about the eighth. Mm -hmm. Now, are you just another pro-repeal woman making just another podcast to sort of reinforce your view? Yes, I am another pro-repeal woman. uh, But no, I'm not making the podcast to reinforce my view. I suppose probably the opposite of that. Um, So I really wanted to make a podcast that actually listened to people's views on the issue. Uh, People who didn't agree with me, people who do agree with me, people who are somewhere in the middle. And really to get a sense of what this country is actually thinking. And I think we hear from the same people over and over again, a lot of very seasoned media pros who are put forward on both sides. um, And they have their talking points and they have their strong arguments and they have their data. And what we really don't hear from is people who have genuine questions or concerns or, you know, nuanced kind of opinions on both sides and in the middle. Nuance is a great word. Mm. You're also driven, Kira, by real curiosity, which makes you one, one, of the, one of the good people, I think. I mean, what have you, you're, 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 you are going around and you're interviewing people who are pro-repeal, who are anti-repeal, people who are still kind of in the centre and could jump either way. Mm-hmm. So far, what are you finding? Do you know... The thing that has surprised me most is that I think as a pro-choice person, I've been pro-choice my whole life. I've had an abortion as well. um, And I have always characterised the anti-choice or pro-life or anti-repeal side as being, I suppose, trolls or bullies or scary. The big bad cartoon monsters that I have in my head for them. 
And I really had to challenge myself on that. And I had been thinking a lot about echo chambers. And I think we've been hearing a lot about that in the ether at the moment and a lot about culture wars. And we've seen that play out with Brexit and with Trump and everything else. And now we're really seeing it on the abortion issue as well. And I thought, God, you know, I am in an echo chamber, whether I like it or not. And I just felt myself getting genuinely curious one day when I saw somebody who had a Love Both sticker on their car. And it was the one that has a little picture of a smiling kind of cartoon fetus. And it says, when I grow up, I'm going to play for Ireland. And I thought, God, I'd love to actually just sit down with that person and ask them, do you really believe that? And, you know, what are your views and where does the woman fit in in all of this? And and really have a genuine conversation. And I hadn't really ever heard that in the media before. Um, And I suppose these conversations tend to just divulge divulge into rouse and emotion and stress. And I think that's why people avoid the issue. Um, So I made an agreement with people that I spoke to. We're not going to go head to head on this, right? We're just going to talk to each other. And so that's what I did. Now, one of the clips uh, refers to this and we're going to play it for you now. It's about what Kira came across there, the sticker on the car, uh, the Love Boat sticker, the smiling fetus saying, I'm going to grow up to be a footballer and what Kira's view of this was to begin with. I've been pro-choice all my life. I've worked in the field of sexual and reproductive health. I've campaigned and protested and fought and supported women who've had to travel. I have had to travel for an abortion myself. And that experience had a massive impact on me and on my worldview. I've just had a baby. And during my pregnancy and childbirth, I saw the impact of the Eighth Amendment on the maternity services in this country, something I really hadn't been exposed to before. So I've personally been impacted by the Eighth Amendment, and so have many of my friends and family. And because of all these experiences, I've always had the same reaction to what I've referred to as the other side. Abortion is murder. Make no bones about it. There's no way of saying it. The Bible says it's murder. One day last year, I was parking my car. I parked next to another car and I noticed when I got out that it had a Love Both sticker on it. And the sticker, you may have seen them yourself, the sticker has a little picture of a smiling fetus. It looks like a little person. And it says, when I grow up, I'm going to play for Ireland. And the first thought I had was, ugh, That is disgusting. What a bollocks. I didn't even see this person. I only saw the car and I saw the sticker. And for some reason that day, I stopped myself in my tracks. I thought, wait a minute. I'm just after making a huge judgment here. I'm after making a judgment about the person who drives this car. A person who I hadn't even seen. Who has not uttered a single word to me. And at the time, I'd been thinking an awful lot about culture wars and a lot about echo chambers, and a lot about how constantly just reinforcing your own beliefs really isn't healthy for a democracy. The easiest thing in the world to do is to imagine the other side are all complete psychos. And I know we've seen some pretty scary tactics employed, but surely, I thought, not everyone who refers to themselves as pro-life is a troll or a bully or a bollocks. Kira. So what you decided there and then was, you, you're, you're obviously a good person. You thought, oh, Lord, I said that with bollocks, but I just made a judgment about someone who hadn't said a single word to me. Mm, yeah. And I kind of thought, geez, this is exactly what I've been thinking about in a whole other different, all these other arenas of 
life and politics and, and I, I need to now apply this to myself and I'd wanted to make a podcast for a long time anyway and I'd been looking around for something that would be interesting enough to get stuck into and I thought why not this um, and I was at home with a small baby on maternity leave at the time and so um, I decided this is a way for me to be able to get involved in uh, the campaign and really get to grips with it, but in a way that I'd be able to do it sort of flexibly as well. Right? Now, what's also interesting here, we've an audio clip of Kira and her husband Paddy having a discussion about whether or not she's mental to be doing this. Do you think I'm mental? Yeah, a bit, yeah. A bit mental. That's my husband Paddy. There's no way I'd be able to sit there and just listen to them go on with their talking points without blowing a complete gasket. But then again, that's why you're doing this podcast and I'm not. Oh, but like, there, I suppose there's no point in going in there to start a row. I mean, like, I either challenge everybody or cha- I challenge nobody. I either go in with a, like, conflict mentality or I go in just, like, to document people's thoughts and opinions and feelings about this referendum. And I'd rather document and and give people who are listening a chance to really hear people just speaking freely without having somebody breathing down their neck and holding their feet to the fire. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see why you'd want to do that. It's just that I'd have concerns about allowing pro-life people to speak unchallenged. Why would an anti-repeal person ever want to talk to me then like if they're just if they know like I wouldn't want to go and speak to somebody who was making a podcast to make all pro-choice people sound like lunatics and baby murderers yeah well that's it I mean you have uh, if you're going to be approaching people and asking for their time you have to go to them in good faith don't you even if they do hold views that you find repugnant you can't go to them pretending to be one way but actually going, well, when I get this, I'm going to edit it down and I'm going to interject all my thoughts and and rebut every single point they make. Yeah, I think you're mental, but I also think you're probably right. That's just our relationship summed up, really, isn't it? (laughs) In a nutshell. So Paddy had a problem with allowing anti-abortion people to speak unchallenged. Um, You are going to them in good faith. Um, Paddy thinks, in the end, you're mental, but you're probably right. But do you think it works both ways, Kira? In what sense? That if, say, if somebody's shouting, as we hear in another clip. Pure murder. Abortion is murder. Make no bones about it. Mm-hmm. There's no way of saying it. The Bible says it's murder. Mm-hmm. What murder. about people who don't believe in the Bible? It doesn't matter whether you believe in the this, Bible or not, it's murder. For people for all Pure murder. Exists. Abortion is murder. Abortion. Is it ever possible to deal with somebody like that in a reasonable way? Mm. Yeah, well, I included him because he is the cartoon villain in my head when I think of a, an in inverted commas, pro-life person. It's this person standing, giving out Jesus leaflets on the side of the road and screaming at you that abortion is murder. And he got really up in my face and was very aggressive. And quoting the Bible. Uh, and quoting the Bible, yeah. And I found him very scary and intimidating. But the majority of people who are going to vote no in the referendum are not him. The majority of people who are going to vote no in the referendum, in fact are very reasonable and rational people who just have different views to me. 
And that's what I found when I went out to meet people. And I found people not by going to campaigners. I found people by... The first person I found was a lady called Mwern. And I found her because I saw her comment on a friend's post on Facebook and I saw her identify herself as pro-life. And so I reached out to her and I said, look, we have a mutual friend. Would you be interested in talking to me? And she said, I'd absolutely love to. And then she put me in touch with other people. So there was kind of a snowball effect from there. But, um, you know, I didn't want to go and speak to the real extremes necessarily. I wanted to speak to the regular people. So I think we're actually in uncharted territory um, because for the first time in Ireland, I think we can all agree that the debate has moved on very, very quickly in the last 12 months or less. So if we're looking at previous debates up until now, whether or not we're talking about the debate that took place in 2002, the debate that took place around the protection of life and pregnancy legislation in 2013, or just the debates that used to be thrown up whenever someone went to the UN or something like that, the the pressure was always very much on the pro-life side because up until now the debate has been about the hard cases. It has been about... Um, rape and incest and FFA or whatever you want to call it, etc. Now the shoe is on the other foot completely because now for the first time pro-choice campaigners actually have to go out and defend the position of removing every single constitutional right from the unborn or close to every meaningful right from the unborn. Sometimes I wonder, like if I were a repeal campaigner, um, I would maybe wonder about the tone of their campaign. It seems to be quite dour. In a way, I kind of feel for them, you know. They need to try to sell killing babies because the reality is the people who don't think it's a baby are going to be voting yes anyway. So they need to convince people who think, who have qualms about this and who might vote no, well, who are those people? They're people who think that this is a baby to at least, you know, at some point, some degree, whatever. And you have to go and convince them that it's okay to kill them. Now, you can frame it 100% in the terms of women's rights and women and compassion and all that kind of thing, which they do. Clearly, if somebody would contemplate voting no, they believe some level of balance of rights should be on the unborn. And I wonder if you can wholly convince someone to completely disregard that by solely focusing on the right to bodily autonomy. Maybe you can. I don't know. What Mirren said was uh, the shoe is on the other foot now, that the pro-repeal side have to come out now. They need to try and sell killing babies. Mm. You have to convince people it's OK to kill babies. Mm. Do you argue back? No. Do you just listen? I just listened. And I tell you, it was incredibly humbling because... I think something that you do in these situations is that you have this defense. We all have defense mechanisms for our beliefs. And when we automatically start to argue and we go into row mode, that's a defense mechanism and it's psychologically helpful uh, to row with somebody who differs from you. But to sit back and just let them speak and just actually digest it and, and really listen to them and listen to why they believe what they believe, that's... It's challenging, but it's also very humbling. Kira, you've had an abortion mm. and you're sitting across from somebody saying to you, however measured their manner might be, you're killing your babies mm. and you're encouraging others to do that as well. How does that feel? Mm. It was incredibly hard. Um, but I think, <laughs> I suppose I personally feel 
that, like, like my opinion is very different to her opinion, okay? And, like, I made a very grounded decision to have an abortion. I stand over that decision. I'm very happy with that decision. Uh, I then went on many, many years later to have my own pregnancy that I was very happy about and everything and, you know, obviously reflected on that when I got pregnant, you know, the time that actually resulted in a baby, uh, reflected back on the time that I had an abortion and kind of did some soul searching around it again and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think I was very, I'm very happy with my decision and don't feel in any way wobbly about it. And I think if I had felt in any way wobbly about it, it might be very hard for me to sit in front of somebody like that. But, you know, I told Maureen that I had had an abortion and the, as the conversation went on, she actually started to show some real empathy that it doesn't sound from that clip that mm. she was capable of. Uh, so uh, talking to Maureen, at first I was getting a lot of the you're killing babies stuff. And then when the conversation evolved and became more real, I suppose, she ended up opening up, up to me about an experience that she had having uh, gone through a miscarriage herself. And she said she she sat there in that moment and said, oh, my God, this must be what it's like to have a crisis pregnancy. I feel out of control. I feel my body is betraying me. I don't know what to do. I'd do anything to stop this. And she said, is that how you felt when you had an abortion, when you were had a crisis pregnancy? And I was like, here we are. We're slivers away from each other. Yes, that well, is what it was only like. Only slivers in the sense, Kira, that she wouldn't do it voluntarily. Uh, yeah. And she would say that you did. But she had empathy for women having a crisis pregnancy in that moment, which I think is very interesting as somebody who is incredibly staunchly pro-life. So you didn't come to blows? No. God, <laughs> we had a big hug at the end. I got into the car and I bawled my eyes out because I just felt that's the first time that I've ever had a conversation that was that honest with <laughs> with somebody who had such a different view to me. On the issue. Now, Kira, you also had a chat with a guy called Gavin, who is anti-repeal also. Mm. And his story is that his mom had him at 16. Yeah. Uh, working class woman. So my my mom fell pregnant with me when she was 15. She had me when she was 16. The background of my family then wasn't wealthy at all. Working class family background. My mother didn't want uh, to travel to England to get an abortion, right? My grandparents, however, wanted her to, and we had family in in England. So they sent her over to England uh, to get an abortion, and she was there. She stayed with a few family members there, um, waiting for the the whole procedure. Now, it was in that time um, that my grandparents uh, deliberated, you know, and methodically thought, okay, well, look, we can't do this. This isn't the right thing to do. So they took her home, and uh, I'm here today because of that. Now, he winds up there saying, Kira, look at me. Do you see me or do you see a choice? Yeah. What do you say to that? Gavin was really fascinating and he really put it up to me. Now, we had an agreement at the beginning. Look, you know, this is going to be a discussion. I'm just going to listen and I'm going to ask you some questions and you can answer them in whatever way you wish. And we're not going to get into a row. But I told them I was pro-choice at the beginning. I didn't actually tell them that I'd had an abortion. Um, And Gavin said, yeah, do you see me or do you see a choice? And he asked it rhetorically the first time. But then at the end of the interview, he said, Kira, I want to ask you again. Do you see me as a choice? Do you think that I am something that's a choice? And we had a big, long discussion then about, you know, I suppose 
uh, prenatal life and versus, you know, personhood. You know, when does personhood begin? Um, when does he, Gavin, begin? Uh, and, you know, I was saying, did I do I believe that a four-week-old, five-week-old zygote or embryo is the same as you, Gavin, 19-year-old Gavin from Ringsend, Dublin 4, in Trinity College? Is I do not think that you have the same moral value or standing or status. And that's where we part ways, I think. And that's the key differential between, I think, the pro-choice movement and the anti-repeal movement is that idea of the value that they place on prenatal life uh, over and above, I suppose, the value of the life of the woman who's experiencing a crisis. Do you think you convinced him at all? No. He is absolutely, because he exists, he believes his mother at 16 that the grandparents made the right decision yeah, to yeah. bring his mother home. Mm, it was such a personal thing. There's no convincing somebody who's that rooted in such a personal... No more than he could never convince me because my experience is so personal and comes from having had an abortion and comes from, you know, going through that whole process. There's no turning me around, <laughs> you know, at this stage. But there's certainly an opening of minds that happened like across the table, sitting across the table from each other, listening to each other and exchanging. And really, there was a lot of unspoken things between myself, Gavin and Hazel, the other uh, Trinity student who I spoke to, where both of us could have argued and moments where both of us could have gotten very heated and very angry and started going, well, I completely disagree. And I think what's unspoken in that interview, when you hear it, is probably what's most interesting because we actually just held a kind of a respectful space for one another, mm. just to have this conversation. And it meant ball, all of us biting our tongues <laughs> at various opportunities. Doesn't sound a bit like Twitter. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of Twitter. <laughs> and Kiri, you went to the rally for life. I did. And you felt a bit freaked out at times. Oh, no. Like, that was... I mean, I'm happy to sit in front of a reasonable, rational person and have a conversation. And in fact, that felt very human uh, like a human inquiry into each other's feelings on the issue, on something really emotive. But really going to the rally for life was traumatic, is probably the best word. The march itself was harrowing. That's probably the only word for it. Simply murder. Right. Pure murder. Abortion is murder. Make no bones about it. Mm-hmm. There's no way of saying it. The Bible says it's murder. Mm-hmm. What murder. about people who don't believe in the Bible? It doesn't matter whether you believe in the this, Bible or not, it's murder. It's for people for all beliefs yes. and none. Yeah. Abortion is view, murder. It's a civil rights and a human rights issue. Yeah. Yeah. We're here as people who support civil yes. rights and Abortion human is murder. And for us, it's science. It's a human being. Nobody can deny that. It's a human being. And we oppose the the killing of human beings. That's why we're here. It was, you found it, it, first of all, it surprised you by its size, Kira. Mm, It was huge. It really was. I mean, I kind of had it in my head that it would be, um, I don't know, like uh, probably the size of a lot of the, you know, marches and things that would have been around the time of, Maybe like the, remember the yes equality, the opposition to that Mm -hmm. uh, was very small, (laughs) kind of contained. 
And I felt like, oh, sure. I mean, I mean, most people surely are voting yes now at this stage. And, you know, went along anyway, a little bit uh, unemotionally prepared for the sheer volume of people that were there. Yeah. And you uh, felt like you were wearing a big abortion hat. <laughs> yourself, Freaking out internally. Yeah. I, I had an abortion sort of almost sort of coming out in a speech bubble from your head. Yeah, well, I was sort of standing there and I was on my own and I was recording the march as it was passing and I was stopping people, you know, as the march would be kind of stopping naturally going up O'Connell Street. I was just asking people, you know, why they were there today and everything. But like all of the signs were just screaming, you know, abortionist murder and like save the baby's lives and pick graphic images and religious imagery and everything. And I just felt uh, towards the end, it just started to really all just come at me. <laughs> it's like, I feel like, you know, I was in the kind of viper's nest, I suppose, because <laughs> these people all think I'm a murderer. Uh, and it felt very overwhelming. And then I, I called my husband and asked him to come and collect me because I was like panicking going, I need to get out of here. And he and my son with him. And how old is um, your son? He's nine months. Uh, so yeah, we were kind of making our escape and had a couple of run-ins with people on the way and it was just, oh God. And like my husband, as you'll heard from that clip, like he's even more pro-choice than I am, but he's like angry pro-choice, you know. <laughs> So he has no time for nuance of debate. <laughs> He's just like, just completely like, you're wrong. I'm right. That's it. And while you were fleeing the scene, you came upon a sign that said warning. Mm. It said warning, graphic abortion imagery ahead. And I thought, OK, fair enough. I've seen enough of it today now. But there were huge banners, like half the height of this building, practically like at the top of O'Connell Street and so many of them all in a line. And we were like, oh, what's that? What's that? And just went over innocently and looked over at them. And like, we were just going, oh, my God, that is absolutely so disgusting and horrible. And I do think that as a tactic is probably the biggest problem I have uh, come across in trying to document everything that's happening. I do think there are grimy tactics at play, but I think that the, the graphic imagery, I was walking up by Stephen's Green yesterday and came across two young girls standing there holding these this huge billboard, half the size of a shop front, um, with an image of, I don't know where they got it or what it was actually of, but it said that it was a 10 week old fetus. And like there are women walking by there who have had miscarriages, have had fatal fetal abnormalities, who are pregnant uh, and maybe don't want to be pregnant or maybe are worried about the pregnancy. There, You just do not know what effect that is having on people. And I just think that is really a disgusting tactic and, and really unfair. Can I just uh, commend people to a website called Snopes.com, which is a kind of a, it's, a, it's an excellent fact checking website which dealt with uh, that little doll size, mm. supposedly 12-week-old fetus. Mm -hmm. Really, people should go and check it out for yeah, themselves. Um, Kira, in terms of how you're going to organise this, this series now, how is, how is it going to happen? You're still up for it, even after all this <laughs> harrowing, <laughs> sirens going, people yelling. <laughs> so I've got about three quarters of it made at this stage and it's just about, you know, pulling the episodes together now. So I've spoken to a whole range of different people. I've spoken to, to people who provide counselling services for women who are in crisis pregnancy, to abortion doctors, to midwives, to psychiatrists, pre, uh, perinatal psychiatrists, um, I've spoken to uh, with a whole range of different views on the issue. And then I've spoken to a lot of just ordinary everyday people. Uh, my challenge now at the moment is I really want to do an episode about the church. Um, and I have been 
challenged in finding a member of the Catholic Church who is willing to go on record and have a chat with me about it. Because there were a lot of them at the Rally for Life. Oh, like any number of them. Uh, Or in their religious garb. Yeah, I'm not sure how many of them were Irish because they were wearing really like traditional, like, you know, the proper like old school priest outfits with the big, you know, huge flowy drapey things that, you know, know, Irish priests, you know, they they wear a collar and a jumper, you know. Uh, But yeah, no, I've I've spoken to a couple of priests now, a few bishops. I've approached a number of kind of representative organisations and have had a few rabbit holes, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I have a couple of potentials, but even the usual suspects now that are out, uh, you know, that would normally be out shouting about various things are unwilling <laughs> to engage. So I don't really know why. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Is it, you, you, were, you were talking, Kira, about this being not just about abortion, yeah. but our, I, I, I kind of a new Ireland. It is, yeah. yeah. In, in what way do you see it being part of a new Ireland? But I suppose exactly what the eighth referendum for me represents is controlling women, controlling women's bodies, controlling their sexuality. And, you know, uh, it came about in a time and Annie Hoey, who uh, works for the Coalition to Repeal, said it in the interview I did with her. You know, this came about at a time when the church and state were losing control of women's bodies. Do you think the Eighth Amendment is about controlling women? Absolutely. I think it was brought in at a time when it, when there was a, a, f- a feeling of lack or losing control of women. It is ingrained in the state to con- try and control women. I think when this was brought in, it was perhaps shrouded in some sort of protection ideology, protection of the unborn, protection of women. Women don't need to be protected from themselves. We have been surviving with much angst and annoyance, but we have been surviving for quite a long time. We don't need to be protected from ourselves. And I think it was shrouded in something else. But I think underneath it, it was very much about we are losing control and we need to try and find a way to maintain it. And this was what a way to do it. We literally wrote women's bodies into the Constitution. And and I think I think for some of the proponents of the amendment, I don't necessarily know that they realised how far that was going to end up going. Maybe some of them did and are sitting there rubbing their hands in glee delighted that this has been the consequence but I really think there are a lot of people and I'm meeting and talking to a lot of those people who would have been younger in 1983 who campaigned and supported the amendment who now are like my god I have a a lifetime of experience behind me and if I could go back and change it and I'm now campaigning to change it because I didn't know because it was sold in a very different way but the consequences of the 8th amendment were far beyond what I think anyone could really have imagined at the time. Really, to me, that kind of sums it up, you know, I mean, they were losing control over women's bodies. Women were starting to use condoms and the pill. And this is all in living memory stuff like this country is not like is changing very rapidly in the last 20, 30 years compared to what it was before. And I think this is one of the last vestiges of that control. You know, women can use contraception now. They can get the morning after pill over the counter. I mean, that was a huge battle that the IFPA led. And, um, yeah, I think this is one of the last pieces of freedom um, of women over their lives and their reproductive health. And But you do point out that change is very hard for everyone on every side. Absolutely. That people are feeling the morality challenge and they're being told they're utterly wrong when they're convinced they're right. So, Kira, would you have any insights at all into how one should approach people who are in the centre? People who could be nudged either way at this point. Yeah, like, I mean, I would hope that this podcast will 
provide some sort of a service for those people. Um, you know, that they will actually genuinely get to listen to people on both sides and all in the middle. And I think it's fine to have questions and I think it's really important for people to have questions. Like abortion is such an emotive issue. But I think what I would generally say to people when I'm trying to convert them is that if you are somewhere in the middle and you think maybe it's okay in certain circumstances, that means you're pro-choice. That means you should be voting to repeal the Eighth Amendment. The only people who should be voting to retain the Eighth Amendment are people who believe that women's bodies should be controlled in this way and that, you know, abortion under every single circumstance and maternity care as well uh, should be controlled in this way and it should be held in the Constitution of Ireland. Kira, what's in this for you? I presume you're spending an enormous amount of time on this. <laughs> That's a brilliant question. What's in it for me is absolutely zero money. <laughs> uh, you haven't got a sponsor, big, I presume. No, There's no, no. advertising. Who wants to You're not advertise. able to sell your numbers to <laughs> Cambridge Analytica or yeah, something. Yeah. No, no, uh, no money. Uh, big time sink. Uh, big pain for my husband who has to listen to endless episodes because I've no editor help or anything. I'm just solo mission. Look, I just really wanted to do this badly. Uh, I just felt I wanted to do something around the referendum um, and I really, really wanted to make... so. And I just think radio, podcasting especially, but radio is such a perfect medium for this because, you know, when you put a video camera in front of somebody's face, they immediately... Like, it's much harder to get people to be open. But I think a microphone is much gentler uh, and I also think radio is such a lovely, warm medium as well. Um, you know, it's very immediate. It's very intimate. And I think it'll really give people a strong sense of the humanity behind, you know, the words that we might read on social media and, and that. As well, Just so. before we wind up, tell people about your studio at home. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, so like I do record a little bit in, in Headstuff, I have a podcast studio, so I bring interviewees there just in case anyone thinks that I do this with my interviewees. But at home when I'm recording my audio, I have to, I get into the hot press and hang like dressing gowns and duvets around around me and just basically make a little nest. But it sounds nicer. <laughs> but uh, And then when my dog will occasionally just like clack his big toenails by the door, I have to stop recording. <laughs> As you can see, Kira is putting her heart and soul into this series. Um, and Kira, tell me about how is it? It's going to be uploaded when and for how many weeks? Every Friday, uh, starting um, on Friday the twenty third uh, of March, um, for for the weeks leading up to the referendum, the final episode will be me recording and going back to the people that I've spoken to throughout on the day of the vote and on the day of the result. So it'll be kind of recording all that day and the day after of uh, the aftermath and that'll come up then as the last And how finale. will people find you? Go to headstuff.org or search for The Eighth uh, anywhere you find your podcasts iTunes, Stitcher wherever Kira O'Connor Walsh thank you so much for coming Thanks in so and much. we'll be listening the women's podcast will Thank you so much guys really appreciate it Well I hope you found that as interesting as we did we in the Women's Podcast are going to be covering this in many, many different ways over the coming weeks and long after. In the meantime, you can find Kira's podcast, The Eighth, on headstuff.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And it starts tomorrow. The podcast is produced by Roisin Engel and by Jennifer Ryan. JJ Vernon is on sound. Remember, you can download individual episodes of the podcast or subscribe to it on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. I'm Cathy Sheridan and I'll talk to you next time. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.